to do so. If you feel comfortable with uh, meeting with us, uh, at this point we've continued, decided to continue to meet together. We also know that uh, this morning they're trying out a, a new format of stream online as well, being able to stream the message part of it this morning. So uh, for those that at least that they have access to that, they can watch the service continue to be a part even though they may, may not be here physically. When some of these things happen, you know, how it kind of pushes you to look beyond what you've always done, you know, and try to find other ways to minister to one another, to minister to people in our church. And, uh, you know, it takes a very a number of ways to make sure that that happens. So, of course, as we have been talking about, let's not shake hands. Uh, please wash your hands and keep them clean. If you feel the need to be anointed by sanitizer, there is some out at the front lobby on the table. There's a whole big thing of it, so if you want to just, you know, let it flow down like they did over the kings when they anointed them. Uh, whatever you need to do to feel comfortable coming in this place, there is that sanitizer. Um, of course, if you have to change the face of your We are working on uh, options for live streaming messages. And of course, you can go online to hcc.com. Our messages are also there. And they're, they've always been there. You know, they, they post them every week. So that if you want to listen to the message after, you can go back and listen to those. Um, but this is a perfect... ...for the church to not feed into the fear, but to offer hope in the middle of crisis. And there may be opportunities that you're going to find for you to minister to neighbors and to bring peace into the circumstance and situation. Maybe neighbors or family members. When these kind of circumstances come up, let it be a moment. Let it be an opportunity for God's church to continue. Again, our foundation is not built on this world, and our foundation is not built on our government. It is not built on what going on, we can continue what God is calling us to do. John Wesley said it best, I think. He said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people Continue to do good. Continue to, even if you don't want to have social contact or get too close, make the phone call. Check on somebody. Make sure they're doing okay. If they're being a little frazzled, settle them down. Encourage them with a word from God that says, be strong and courageous. We have nothing to fear. So that being said, that's my encouragement in these next, uh, in these next weeks. We don't know all that's going to happen, but I want to encourage you to not give in to the hysteria, but be smart, right? Um, and now I'm going to just show you just a quick video here before I get started with my message today. Thank you. 
Starting next week. No, just <laughs> so me, church, as we're talking about membership, we have to begin thinking about what is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of membership? And why is this important? We know that the church, who is the church? It's not a building, right? The church is us. And we have mainly been learning about our responsibilities as members of the church. Now, why is this important? It's important because we live in a time where people don't understand the purpose for becoming a church member for both their own spiritual well-being and also the, the well-being of the church. Many have left the church and just think that they can go without and just have their own relationship with God. But that would be an unbiblical concept of a follower of Christ. Because the church was meant to come together so that we can be a body working together. Because when we have separated parts, whether it be a thumb or a hand or an arm or a foot, and they're out there doing some other thing just by themselves, they're not functioning the way God had intended His church and His people to function. And there's missing pieces. I mean, just try to visualize for one moment, like we, we talked about, uh, what was it? The Munsters? They had the little hand in the box. A hand separated from everything else, right? And that's kind of what the people who are away from the church body think they, I can just serve God the way that I want to are. They're just like that hand in a box, not really accomplishing a whole lot and certainly not functioning the, the, the way that God wanted them to function. So what is the purpose of the church? We are to be, number one, functioning church members. That means that there are no spectators, we are all members of the body of Christ, and all members are needed for the body of Christ to function properly. Now, last week we learned about the importance of church unity and what we need to do to be sure that we do not become someone who causes division in the church. And we also learned how toxic gossip can be. It was listed as one of the several things that we would consider to be very bad, and it can be destructive in the advance of the kingdom of God. We read in Romans 1.29, I want you to just, take a, a, just be thinking about this list as I say it. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. That's quite a list. Gossip is put in there with a list of murder, 
deception, malicious behavior. That's how important this is to talk about. That's why it's important for the church. Do you think Paul, at this point, was being very direct about what he expected of this church? He saw how important this particular topic was, and he also saw how destructive it could be. We read about a lot of the destruction and division that was happening in the church in Corinth, if you read through 1 and 2 Corinthians. So Paul wanted to hit this head on, and he did. Now, our expectation as bodies of Christ, as people in the body of Christ, and the expectation of really Christ for us, is when you have something against somebody that you would follow the, the principle of Matthew 18, where you go to that person privately, and then if you, they don't listen, then you take others to confirm what is being said. And then if they still don't listen, you bring it before the church. And after all of that, if they still don't listen, the Bible says to treat them as a pagan or a tax collector. Now, many of us don't like tax collectors, especially in the next you know, several days. But we're to treat them as pagans or tax collectors. So there's this expectation that we have as members of the body to continue doing the things that keep the unity. Paul knew how important it was to keep unity in the church, and he's willing to fight for it. And Jesus Christ said in Matthew 18, if you have a problem, go to that person individually first. Now today we're going to talk about me, church, and we're going to talk about preferences and desires. Now think about kids. Now kids, as they sometimes do, they fight and they argue because they want something done their way. They want it their way, and they want it now. How many of you have seen that? How many of you noticed that? You've seen it in kids, right? Now, if you had siblings, you know that was the same way growing up. You had some pretty hard-headed siblings that only wanted it their way. You could never work it out. It was their way or they're taking their ball and going home, right? Now, there's something in us that wants to have things done our way, the way that we think it should be done. But fortunately, what's great about this is that we, when we all grow up, and when we, become, when we become adults, that all goes away, right? We become adults and it all goes away. We never have that happen in our lives anymore because we're grown and we're mature now. Or when we say the prayer to become a Christian, you know, it just all wipes clean and we never are like that ever again. The selfishness just washes away, never to return, Amen. But we all know that in reality, we are all human. We're part of humanity. And Christians can sometimes act just like the demanding children when they don't get their way. You may notice that sometimes in your marriage. Right? It happens from time to time. Temper tantrums may not include church members on the floor kicking and screaming. Hopefully not. This is Facebook Live, people. You're going to be live, and people are going to be seeing that. But sometimes it becomes dangerously close, doesn't it? Now, will there be moments that we will have to put our preferences aside for the sake of the kingdom of God? It doesn't mean that our preferences change. We can still prefer things a certain way. We just don't hold on to them as if they're the gospel. 
right? Because preferences can change. The gospel doesn't change. So these preferences can be all over the place, and we can all have our own preferences, and there's nothing wrong with that. But they're not the gospel. So when we think about this me first thing, and you know, a lot of times this generation in front of us here is called the me first generation. But I want you to see that it's not just this generation, and it didn't start just in this generation. It has always been there. You see, when Jesus walked along with his disciples, he really sometimes seemed to confuse them. They had no idea what he was trying to say to them. And at one time, the closest followers of Jesus, they began to fight about who was the greatest. They were having a me-first fight before we knew what a me-first generation was. Jesus stopped and he called them together. And he said, if anyone wants to be first... He must be the last of all and the servant of all. Ouch. I would have loved to have seen the faces on the disciples when he said that to them. It didn't compute. It didn't make sense to them. That seems like a paradox. It's an oxymoron. How can you be first and be last and last and first? It doesn't make sense. But he really showed them, didn't he? <laughs> but when you think about it, though, the text is also for you and me. As a church member, our motivation should not be to get our preferences at the top of the list. We are supposed to be last, not first. We are supposed to seek to be a servant rather than be served. Now let's look a little bit deeper in what it means to be a servant. Now we think of servanthood and the word servant. The word servant is found 57 times in the Old Testament. Sometimes it refers to somebody who has an official role in the household of servant. And many times it also refers to the role that we are to assume as Christians. It occurs 58 times in the New Testament. Now here we see Jesus said that we need to serve, that the last among you is actually going to be first in the kingdom of God. And isn't it amazing when we think about the kingdom of God, how the kingdom of God is different from anything humanity knows. Right? We think we know who should be first and last, and we have the pecking order. We think we know what the kingdom should look like, and what government should look like, what nation should look like. But Jesus comes and says, that's not how it is at all. My kingdom is going to be different. And when you become a part of his kingdom, things change. And it's not just going with the flow of all humanity. Things change. Things get different. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3.7, By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. So that's just another way that we serve him. Spreading the good news of Christ is part of our service, part of our servanthood. And those that spread the gospel of Jesus Christ will become first in his kingdom, though they not, may not be considered that great today. They may be seen as last by others. But Christ puts them up in front. You see, we'll never find joy in church membership when we are constantly looking for things to be our way. But, and this is a bit of a paradox, we will find the greatest joy when we will choose to be last. We'll find the greatest joy in our faith and in our membership when we choose to put ourselves last. That's what Jesus meant when he said that the last will be first. True joy means giving up our rights and preferences and serving someone else. 
How many have found true joy when you've just decided you're going to serve somebody? When you've decided to give time to an organization or to volunteer to help somebody out, to fix somebody's vehicle, right, or to clean up a yard, or to do some painting. There's something within us that says, this feels good. I really should be doing more of this. And it's the same. It doesn't change when we come into the church. It doesn't change when we walk into these doors. When we serve, when we give of ourselves, we feel the true joy of what it means to be a member. We don't feel like just somebody who's attending. We feel a part of what God is doing because we're giving of ourselves. Now, there's a study that was done by Crossway, and they surveyed churches that were inwardly focused, that were largely self-serving churches. Now, they found some dominant behavior problems in each of these churches, and I would say they have not directly seen much of this here at HCC, but there are always areas that could be improved, and there can also serve as a warning or a reminder. The first thing that we see that has been happening throughout these churches that tend to be inwardly focused is something that we've maybe all heard of at one point or another, but it's the worship wars. The title seems kind of even weird. Why would we say worship wars? One or more of the factions of the church want the music the way that they like it, and any deviation is met with anger. Or there might even be churches, and by the way, this is something that's been going on for like hundreds of years even, where it used to be just a piano, or just an organ was allowed or just certain types of songs. But churches that tended to be inwardly focused were focused on that, internally fighting over what kind of worship that they do. Number two was the prolonged minutia meetings. Churches spent a lot of time in meetings, mostly about minor items, not often about the Great Commission or the Great Commandment. Not much discussion going there, and I would say that the majority of our meetings as a board, at some point or another, there's discussion about the Great Commission or what God is calling us to. Number three is a facility focus, where the church facilities develop iconic status. One of the highest priorities of the church is the protection or preservation of rooms, furniture, or other visible parts of the church's building and grounds. So the focus is only on that. That's it. As we talked about a few weeks ago, there needs to be a balance there, so it can't only be that. Number four, program-driven. Churches that tended to be inwardly focused were program-driven. Every church has programs, whether they admit it or not. The problem is not with the programs. The problem develops when the program becomes a means to an end rather than a means to greater ministry. It's just about keeping the ministry going or keeping the program going. Number five was an inwardly focused budget. Large portion of the budget is used to meet the needs of mainly in the church, not beyond the walls. Number six, attitudes of entitlement. This could be a, a catch-all phrase. The overarching attitude is one of demanding and having a sense of deserving special treatment. Number seven is a concern about cha- uh, a greater concern about change than the gospel. Number seven greater concern about change than the gospel. Almost any noticeable change in the church evokes anger of many, but those same passions are not evident about participating in the work of the gospel to change lives. 
anger and hostility. Members are consistently angry toward the church staff and other members, which, thank the Lord, isn't the case here. And number nine is evangelistic apathy, where very few members share their faith on a regular basis. These were churches that they had been researching, that had been inwardly focused, that they saw that these churches were not growing, they were dying. They were on their way out. These are things that we need to be concerned about and thinking through to be sure that we don't fit those categories, that we continue to pray for God's direction in every step of the way that we move, believing that God is in control even over coronavirus. He's on the throne. But we need to create the atmosphere to allow him to work and move, to bring change in the areas that we need to change, to bring growth in areas that we need to grow, to give opportunities to reach outside of these walls so that we can continue to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you see, you get the picture here of these nine things, and you can kind of see how it would happen that churches that begin to turn inward and start to grow stale and start to stop growing, you can see how these things would impact that and destroy a church that's trying to do something. The focus of the churches were I, me, and myself. Me, church. I want the seating that has the warm, warm chairs, warm butt warmers on the bottom of your chair, right? Maybe you can buy some portable ones. We'll just hand them out as you walk in. You can sit down on it. I can never promise that the messages will be five minutes. Can never? I can't promise that. But what we've been learning about biblical church membership is that really being a church member is pretty simple. It's about serving. It's about giving. It's about putting others first. And of course, our ultimate example of this is putting on the mind of Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Let's read it together. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. It says, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Again, who's he speaking to here? The church, specifically the church in Philippi, but it also applies to us. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Make your attitude like that of Christ Jesus. That is a tough assignment, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think any of us can completely and wholly do that, can we? Not without his help and not without the Holy Spirit working in us. It's true. He did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his advantage. Could he have come to this earth, placed himself on a, on a throne in a kingdom and, and decided he was going to take over the entire world from that kingdom? Yes, 
he could have done that. But the Bible says that he emptied himself and he took the form of a slave. He humbled himself. He became obedient even to the point of death. Death on a cross. Now keep in mind that Philippians 2 is not only a description of the obedience of Christ. It's an example for us to follow as his believers. We are to be servants. We are to be obedient. We are to put others first. We are to do whatever it takes to keep unity. These are the things that keep coming up, that we keep, keep talking about. This is why it's important to understand what it means to be a member of a church, to be a part of a body. So if we approach membership from the, from the perspective of entitlement, we have it upside down. Because God's kingdom is flipped upside down all over the place. Every time you read, Jesus says something along the lines of, you have seen it this way, but in my kingdom it's this way. You have read this, but I'm going to tell you this. You always ask first what you can do for your church, then you will discover the joy of being last. I'm getting ready to close up this morning. I wanted to keep the message a little bit shorter. But you'll see on the back of your worship guide if you did receive one coming in. The third pledge. Now, one of the things we know is that it's a lot easier to sign this than to do it, to put it into practice. Now, I want to give you a fair warning this morning that it won't be long after you sign this that you'll come across a fellow church member who will have an attitude that is not quite that of Christ. Amen? You know it's going to happen. And they'll have a list of what they think is wrong with the church or what the church should be doing and how they should be doing it. And it'll be tempting to really give it to them. To tell them to let go of their lousy attitude. While a gentle rebuke may be in order, you need to remember something about your commitment. That church member is one of the people that you pledged to serve. Now these commitments are not easy. In fact, without God's power, they may seem impossible for you. So if we take our part in the, in the kingdom of God and we take our part in the body of Christ seriously, we pray for His strength and His wisdom to help us to do these things. We pray for the Holy Spirit to quicken us in those moments when we're tempted to say something or do something that would cause problems or division. And when you think you have had it with making sacrifice for others, remember the example of Christ on the cross for you and for me. As you're overwhelmed by Jesus' undeserved love for you that caused him to sacrifice his life, including his preferences. You might remember what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, please take this cup from me. That was his preference. Please take this cup from me. But nevertheless, your will be done. He had his preference. But he also said, but God, Father, I want to be in alignment with your will. Take the cup from me, please. 
but nevertheless, your will be done. That will keep things in perspective. And so we do the same for others. It will help us to do the same for others. Lord, my preference is this, but at the same time, Lord, your will be done because I want to see you glorified. I want to see people coming to know you. I want to see you glorified and lifted up so that you would draw men to yourself. So let's look at the third pledge. Me, church, know his church. I will not let my church be about my preferences and desires that is self-serving. I am a member in this church to serve others and to serve Christ. My Savior went to a cross for me. I can deal with any inconveniences and matters that are not just my preferences or style. This is not something you turn in, try to make clear this doesn't make you a member by signing this. There is a membership class and things we would want you to go through to become an official member. But it's important for us to know, why do we meet together and what should we be doing when we meet together? As a member of the body of Christ, whether you're an official member of this church or not, you're still a a member of the body of Christ. And so this is a commitment between you and God. Maybe a reminder of what it means to be a follower of Christ and a member of his body. Can we all stand this morning as we want to pray a blessing over you? From Isaiah chapter 41.10 and also Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 through 26. And this is a blessing to those who are with us and those who may be listening online or watching the streaming video. Until we meet again, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Continue to care for one another.